welcome to the Ad Fontes podcast. My name is Ansi Camel. I am the senior editor of the journal Ad Fontes, and I'm joined, as always, or at least most of the time, by my two co-hosts, Colin Chan Redimer, the poetry editor at Ad Fontes, and Reese Laverty, managing editor at the Davenant Press. Gentlemen, it's good to be here with you. That was a great description of who we are. <laughs> and Ansi's coming to us for the first time from his new you know, uh, home studio there. That's right. Pre-recorded straight from Princeton. Look at that. We, we, we weren't sure. We weren't sure it was real. Actually, I'm still not. I, all I see is a room in the background. (laughs) You could just be in a different room in your house, uh, in the Midwest. That is true. He could, he could be in a shipping container somewhere, which is legally the sovereign territory (laughs) of Egypt. He is wearing sort of a, a, you know, a, a drab brown jacket. He's looking kind of, uh, you know, almost Maoist. (laughs) <laughs> is that, is that, is that... No, he has a collar, Colin. Come on. Oh, yeah, true. It is true. Yeah, I'm genteel. I'm too genteel to be an actual Marxist. <laughs> um, but anyway, so today we're going to be talking about a very serious topic. Um, so hopefully Colin will refrain from making jokes at my expense for the duration <laughs> of this serious podcast. But we're going to be talking about... Um... The funniest topic <clears throat> on earth. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we're going to be talking generally, uh, in a general way, about death. What is it? How should we think about it? Um, and I kind of wanted to start with a story for you guys, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, so, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this topic, but I, I, I thought this, this story that I'm going to tell will be helpful in setting the stage, because I think the first fact about death that everyone has to face is not about like the metaphysical status of the dead or, or whatever, but just about what to do about their own death. And so I just wanted to, to give you an example and see, see what you thought about it. So once upon a time, there was an elderly man, probably about 70 years old. And he, um, he is um, convicted of committing a crime and sentenced to death row. And one of his friends comes to visit him on the morning of the execution to find him sleeping peacefully. And his friend says, why are you sleeping so soundly? Me and all of your other friends were distraught at your impending death. Why are you fine with it? And he says this, he says, it would not be fitting for someone my age to be agitated about his impending death. There's something unfitting about being my age, being agitated about impending death. And so I just kind of wanted to ask you guys, is he right? Is and that right? man's name was John F. Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, for those of you, our listeners who know should know that that's the, that's the sort of opening scene of, of the Crido. Um, but I think it's kind of an interesting place to start because you have the... The, the, the Crido two... being, if they oh, don't right, know the, what that the, is, they the won't know. Dialogue. Of, dialogue. The dialogue of Plato. Dialogue. It's, it's right before it's, the Fido. takes place right before the Fido. That, that, that's um, not going to help the people who don't know what you're it's in the about. it's in the set of dialogues of Plato, which are the last days, sometimes called the last days of Socrates. So you have right. so Socrates has been convicted by Athens. Euthyphro, um, he's on his way to the court. Right. Uh, apology, he is convicted. Crito, he's uh, in the jail. Phaedo, he dies. I feel like I'm missing one. Usually, these are in sets of five. There's another one that makes reference to it somehow, but I can't remember which one. Okay, yeah. So, but anyway, that's the story. And I I think it's kind of an interesting place to start because um, when talking about death, 
the first thing, as I said, we have to face is our own sort of death and like how to how to respond to our deaths. And it seems to me that there's sort of two normal reactions or two maybe philosophical reactions uh, throughout history, right? The one is this kind of like distress at death, death is an enemy, um, this discomfort, disquiet in the face of death. Um, and you can see this, especially in like the kind of existentialists, you know, the existentialists are trying to come to grips oftentimes with this, you know, what to do about death, this kind of horrific, you know, um, seeing death is this kind of like horror that, you know, you have to sort of face, face up against. But then there's the kind of like, you know, Socrates's stated position, which is like, look, you know, for someone my age, this is a totally normal thing. I really shouldn't be upset about it. Um, I'm 70. Um, and so even if it's happening in a way that I'd rather it not happen, it's just, you know, it's death. It's normal. What is there to get upset about? Um, and then he sort of elaborates on these arguments in the Fido. Um, but um, I just kind of wanted to start there and get your guys' take on that. Do you think that those two reactions, like, what should we make of them? Um, and, and how do they sort of, can they teach us how to, how to, how to approach these issues well? I immediately thought of my own grandparents um and I think it is yes and no it's it's fitting um to to respond to death that way um so both of my grandfathers uh were converted very close to the ends of their lives one had never had a religious bone in his body had a you know very working class blokey bloke had a near death you know, brush of death a few years before he actually died and was converted on a good friday um and my other grandfather was a lifelong roman catholic um but you know i'm not saying if you are roman catholic you're necessarily not saved but he definitely wasn't <laughs> didn't understand anything about the grace of god at all until i started talking about it with him very near towards the end of his life and then he i think um was born again i'd say uh and both grandfathers died very peacefully in the last weeks, months of their life where their bodies were really failing, they were very content and went very gently. Both of my grandmothers, on the other hand, who had a very middle-of-the-road, nominal, nothingy kind of, you know, would call themselves Christians, fought death tooth and nail. Um, mm. And, you know, one grandmother, just aggressive whenever you tried to leave her when she was in hospital because she didn't want to be alone. Um, apart from when I tried to talk to her about Jesus, when she started saying to me, oh, you should probably be off then, shouldn't you? Um, <laughs> the, only re- the only relative she said that to towards the end of her wow. life. So it's it's tragic and kind of pathetic to see an old person who isn't accepting of death and kind of very fitting and kind of, you know, noble to see those who are. And yet my grandfathers, I was glad to see them that way because... I knew that they would not experience the second death because they were Christians. Um, when I think, okay, of what someone, do you mean by that, Reese? Just just back up a second. Yeah. Second death, they're not going to go to hell uh, for all eternity. Um, old fashioned as as it is to believe such things. Um, so you know, there was a the gospel kind of brought a noble fittingness to their approach to death. When I think of someone who doesn't know Christ dying nobly or you know, accepting death well, there is something uh, fitting in there, yet also something deeply unfitting about someone who thinks they're preparing themselves for whether it's nothingness or the great hereafter and is in fact heading to the second death. That's not fitting. It's incredibly sad to see people who you know are heading into the hands of an angry god um, going that way um, stoically, however we want to put it. Yeah. And and I 
this is a, a good tie, tie in back to what Plato has put in the mouth of Socrates in the Credo, <clears throat> because when when Socrates is talking about death and and sort of saying to his friend Credo, or when Socrates is saying to his friend Credo, you know, why are you why are you so upset? Uh, you know, stop crying. Uh, it's important to remember that Credo is very stupid. Um, and that's, that is one of the most essential things that I think Plato's trying to get across in that dialogue. He's dumb. He, he knows about money. What does he show up with to try to console Plato? Money. I've brought money. I have money, Plato or Socrates, please. You know, here I can help you. <laughs> and, and of course, what could be funnier than, and, and in this sense, right? The Platonic dialogues are always attempts at comedy, right? They're, they're re mm -hmm. renunciation of the tragic. Very poets. funny. Because, because what's funnier than showing up when somebody's certainly going to die and trying to console them by offering them your cash? Uh, it's like he completely misses the note, right? It's like slipping on a banana peel. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> and so because he's stupid, he doesn't understand what death is. And, and you have to read the Credo in relationship to the Apology, I think, to see this, because in the Apology, you have Socrates saying, um, people fear death primarily because they don't know what it is. Um, and he says, but, you know, if you think through what your possible options are, he, he, you know, this is what Socrates claims. We can then ask whether or not this is something Plato means very seriously or not. But what Socrates says is, if you think about it very closely, you listen to the people who've talked, it's one of two things. It's either going to be a dreamless sleep, uh, which I had last night. It was quite a nice night's sleep for me. So I can, you know, I could see you myself. You can only looking... say that because you woke up, though. I could see myself looking forward to a dreamless sleep, uh, or <laughs> or you get to go and have conversations with the people who've died before you. You go someplace and you can talk. And what would a well-ordered soul want more than to talk to you know the great minds of the past, all the people who you would want to talk to, you know, with the expectation maybe that these people you currently want to talk to, well, they'll eventually show up at the party with you. You know, they'll be they'll be coming around. Um, so if those are what, if that's what you think, I think you could have this, um, sort of natural orientation towards death. We could call it a piety towards death. Uh, because how, how does the, the Phaedo end, right? So now we can tie it into the end of the Phaedo, which is the one where Socrates drinks the hemlock, eventually dies. And the last thing he says in the Phaedo is, uh, don't forget to give a cock to Asclepius. And uh, Asclepius is the god of healing. After you're healed, you're supposed to give a, a rooster. So there's something about death, which is sort of a healing of the troubles of living in this life. Um, because you you live this life under the anxiety of, of uh, you know, the sword of Damocles, which is hanging over you. And, uh, you know, once you're dead, it's like, eh, you know, the, the, the surprise is over. You, you know what's coming. And it's one of these two options. Um, the question that I have, and this maybe is the next direction we can go in, is Socrates being ironical or is he being serious? Um, do we actually know that those are our options? Or, uh, and, and just, you know, from the perspective of philosophy, we'll, we can talk theology in a second. Uh, or is this just, is this just Socrates sort of fainting and Plato's trying to sort of give a public teaching to calm people down uh, in a comedic way, but he really secretly believes in this tragic meaning of that's, life. 
That's an interesting question. So I, I like your stipulation. That let's start with philosophy. Um, one of the most, I mean, I've only read it once, but one of the most affecting books I ever read in college was by a Spanish, uh, early 20th century Spanish philosopher named Miguel de Unamuno. And I the love book Unamuno. is called, yeah, he's great. Um, the Tragic Sense of Life in Men and Nations. And I think he kind of, he, he begins from the sort of opposite point of view right so where where socrates begins his interrogation by saying like okay let's think about like what death is and we know that it can be one of these two things unamuno to the degree that i remember the book it's been it's been years now but unamuno begins from the desires of the soul and he says look the soul clearly desires life this is like you know based on our actions in the world this is true right we do things to keep living Healthy, well-adjusted people do things to continue living. So, you know, we feed ourselves, clothe ourselves, bathe ourselves, etc. But we, we desire life, not just in this world, but we desire to continue existing after this world. This is just, you know, um, and, and he thinks, I think he just sort of stipulates this. He just says, this is true. We just desire to live forever. And he says, the problem with all of these, you know, philosophies, um, and he, so he talks about like Nietzschean, you know, eternal return or the kind of like um, reincarnation. He talks about a variety of different, you know, perspectives about life after death. He says, the problem with all of them is that it's not enough that the soul continues living in some way. He said, my soul, I don't just desire to continue living in some way, you know, like I don't want to come back as an ant. I don't just desire to get, you know... <clears throat> you know, brought into, you know, the kind of, uh, I don't know how to put it, like a kind of pantheism, you know, be united to the one and dissolve my, you know, identity. Unamuno says, my desire is to continue living as me. Mm -hmm. It's I who want to continue living. And so all of the philosophies or religions, in his view, that don't have this kind of... Um, you know, um, deny the sort of deepest desire of the human soul, which is to live forever as itself. To, my deepest desire is to continue living forever as me. Uh, again, I'm probably butchering his argument, um, or or at least the sort of direction of his argument, because I haven't read the book in years. But um, I, I think that's kind of a, an interesting way of starting. So instead of thinking about like, okay, what is death? What are my options? Would it be nice to, to sleep forever? Think about, okay, what am I? What does my soul desire and how should the desires of my soul orient me towards death? So I, I guess to like the, the Socratic, you know, view, I mean, say Socrates is right. He seems to think it's going to be a dreamless sleep. Um, I think he thinks that's the more likely um, whatever he says. I, why, I, wait, why do you think he thinks that's more likely? That That's definitely reading him as a stoic, which is my constant accusation of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seems more. I, I mean, so it's hard. Um, maybe I'll put it this way. Every other time Plato speaks about death, right? It's in these kind of like, I mean, it shouldn't say every other time. Many of the other times he speaks about death. It's when he's giving these um, sort of myths, right? To explain particular features of reality, right? So um, is it in the Phaedo where he, he talks about like drinking of the river, forgetting and coming back? Or what, what dialogue is that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the could, be dead the, could be the Phaedo. I'm punished. Or maybe it's... Maybe I, it's I um, just taught Dante's uh, no. Purgatorio where he, he uses the same I think it's image. the Gorgias, maybe. Um, 
but I don't remember. I, they're all kind of swirling around in my head. But there's one where he tells a myth about people. Um, there's like a river and you drink from the river and you forget and then you come back. It's I think it's in the Fido. It explains his theory of knowledge um, because knowledge is sort of like remembering. It's like um, anyway. Um, but anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is that when, 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 when Plato has Socrates talking about death, often it's in these kind of like mythic contexts where the story, it's not clear that the story is actually supposed to be taken seriously. It's just kind of a, a, a way of speculating or gesturing, a way of, um, a way of illuminating something about reality, um, in a, in, in a, by means that that sort of just pure sort of rational argumentation can't oh it's uh book 10 republic it's it's just like in the myth of her section oh okay okay yeah see like i said they're all just kind of like yeah yeah in my but it's there. not it's not lethe lethe is the one that's in virgil and um and dante it's some other but it's a river of forgetting it's the same yeah yeah concept. yeah yeah so I, I i guess to me it seems like this is the only proposal the kind of you know dreamless sleep it seems to be the only proposal <clears throat> that isn't you know, sort of contradicted by or um, articulated differently uh, but my, in my, other myths. My reading of that would be to say, you know, the, the myth of Ur, he's giving, because people aren't going to be satisfied with philosophy. And so he says, well, we got we to gotta give these people a myth. Well, I think, and, I think that's my point. Sorry, I think you just put my point very well, is that the dreamless sleep seems to be philosophy. That's when, the you, when you take half of, of someone's argument, it is often the case that they make your point for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But before you proceeded, I wanted to get my argument fully on the table, which right. is that every other description of death that I've read in the corpus is mythic. And this is philosophical. Oh, no. But it, it is mythic. I mean, dream this of sleep? is his myth. But it's in the It's in the book 10 with the myth of... Uh, or right, the and the idea that they're going to come back, and you know, if you're going to be, and you have, um, uh, like Achilles comes back as a lion, and like you know, I can't remember, but you know, I can't remember. Does he, back does as he an present eagle. it as a myth, or is it something mm-hmm. he says? We got to give these people a myth, we got we okay, to so give he them doesn't a myth. Ex- he doesn't get to that point of it's this or this fire dialogue. He, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Whereas in the, in the apology, he says, you know, these these seem to be the two options. Um, and in other words, he's, he's presented in the Republic that this one's a myth and we're going to give these people a myth so that they can live with themselves. Right. And in the myth, they come back as animals and the, I'm the smartest of all of the ancient Greek heroes, which is, uh, Odysseus is the one that comes back as a normal lowborn dude. Cause he knows that being a dude is better than being even a, even a, like the poorest slave farmer is better than being, you know, a, the best predator or being a lion or something. And why is that? It's because they have the capacity to talk. And so what, what he's saying is it's about, it's about having this conversation. And, and most people are not satisfied with having a conversation. They actually, they can't understand that the best part of themselves is just their ability to sit down and engage in, you know, I'm just all about dialogue, Ansi. I just want dialogue, more dialogue in this country. Um, and, uh, and that, that dialogic faculty, right? This, this conversation is the best thing. And everyone yeah. else is sort of like, no, 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 I, I need to have sex. I need to have victory. I need more money, like Credo, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> these are these are inferior people. And they're, therefore, they're going to be deeply unsatisfied if you tell them, don't worry, everyone. When you, you die, get talk. Yeah, you get yeah, to yeah. talk. Uh, they're going to be really, really upset. They're going to be like, no, no, please, I can't die. I, just, I need to do everything to preserve my life so that I don't die. Because they're completely disordered as humans. 
So if you tell them, it's a dreamless sleep, it's just, we hit the reset button and you disappear, uh, they can, they can sort of live with themselves. That's one yeah. reading of it. I'm not yeah, sure yeah, I'm, yeah. you know, entirely convinced, but I think that would be my response. Yeah. And, Sorry, okay. Reese is well, jumping in. Well, I wanted to ask about Unamuno. Does, does he yeah. have a, does, does, you know, does he, does he zig, does he zag, what way does he go? Um, or does I mean, he get this apparatic, you know, there isn't, there isn't, uh, a view of, uh, life after death, which will allow me to carry on existing as me. So we I think die. ultimately he, he thinks that this is an argument for Christianity. I mean, he oh, was kind good. of, that's, what, uneasy, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. He had an uneasy relationship to Christianity. I mean, he was kind of, um, you know, he's one he of He kind of thinks the world is like a funhouse mirror. That's my best description of him. In what sense? In what sense? Everything. It's just, you know, he's, he thinks in these crazy kaleidoscopic ways and everything is like this weird distortion of our perception of it. And, but in the midst of it, it's like your only option is faith in that, you know, yep. sort of, he's, even he's if, even if your funny... faith isn't real, it's like, you still should have it anyway. That's sort of yeah. where, where he's. Yeah. Is. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of these funny guys who like hates Luther and loves Kierkegaard, which like, I just, I don't understand. <clears throat> so he's a good Spanish Catholic and hating Luther and a bad one and loving Kierkegaard. But I think, um, so if you see him, he's as taking disliked a lot of by his... many Orthodox Catholics and loved by fascists, even though he himself is a Christian. Sort of and was in, against the fascists. Oh yeah, of course. Of, he was yeah. punished. He lost his university no, yeah. posting. From, <laughs> anyway, but but he's um he's so basically I think he thinks it's an argument for faith. And as Colin was saying, it's it's he thinks that faith is like a compulsion almost. From what I recall, that there's this kind of like impulse to faith. It's a ne- It's like necessary for him, whether or not it's sort of like the true the the, the question of truth is somehow subordinated mm-hmm. to the question of necessity. Um. Um, but, but I think, I think, so he takes it as an argument for a Christian style immortality of the soul, right? Where the, the soul's deepest desire is to continue existing in its individuation, not to be sort of dissolved or united, um, in a way that it loses its individuality to, to other things. Um, and to, and to fully be self, you know, your oneself, then you need the body as well, because I, I'm not me without my body, without me being individuated in this, this just about a beard now. Finally got a connection between the mustache and the chin after many years. Um, (laughs) You don't have to say that because we, you know, they they can't see the video, Reese. Sorry, this is how the sausage is made, everybody. This is what it really looks like. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you're you're not yourself without your uh, embodied, to use a buzzword, existence. So... Um, that pushes even more towards, you know, the unique Christian idea of um, life after death, which is the resurrection of the body. Um, yeah. But we've, we, so, we've kind of talked more about life after death than death itself here, which, you know, mm. is let's let's bring it back around to death. Um, I, I suggested this idea because a friend was talking to me about how um, uh, people talk about death. Ricky Gervais says this all the time when people ask him if he's he's an outspoken atheist, are you scared of dying? How do you feel about death? And he's like, Wait, well, it'll just be the same new... as... Oh, sorry. I'm no. I'm, I'm going to watch his new stand-up thing on on Friday night. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and, and enjoy every second of it. Um, probably. Maybe not. Um, anyway, um, yeah, he always says when people ask him about death, oh, I won't, you know, why would I be bothered? It would just be like it was before I was born. Um, and this is a kind of mm-hmm. common way of speaking about it now, is you're just going back to what happened before you were born, so why be bothered? Maybe something a bit Socratic in that. Um, but this is but why these not... people are so pathetic. It's like, how can you look at everything that happened before you were born and be like, I don't mind that I wasn't there. It's like, 
how how incurious are you as a you know you, what what kind of a pathetic person are you? you you see nothing in reality before you were born that makes you long to have been there and experienced it and loved it yeah like, well and you know. i think he he says something similar in this in this sketch he's like look i'm not going to know that i'm dead it won't matter to me and i just thought like that's the kind of like you know sort of stoic and that's a kind of crass articulation of of the kind of stoic or in my view platonic position and this is where i think the existentialists are just so much better right i mean there's this grandeur of soul this like striving to be that that that's just you know um Anyway, but yeah, Reese, you were going somewhere with this before I cut you well, off. So, so my my response is well, they they can't really tell you what death is because they don't actually really know what what life is, is in literal biological life. Because if you're a materialist, you really don't have an explanation for why um, a living being is a living being and what that really is. You, you don't have an explanation for why the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Why does the the grand sum of all the atoms which create the organs of your body which then create you why is that alive um and what does that mean to be alive and then correspondingly what would it mean to be dead so you know what do we we all know what death is it's like pornography um what is it though what is death other than not being alive it's a very hard question I mean, I think we have to think about what we mean when we say death by thinking about what, you know, what just, what does it mean to people generally to know, to have the awareness that there's going to be a ceasing of being in the way that I am in the world, <clears throat> which is coming over the horizon. And so it's interesting you know, when you, when you bring up the question of death, right, you think about your grandparents. That was what you were doing, Reese. I recently had a conversation with a colleague of mine who was telling me that he's retiring in two years time. Exactly. At, you know, no later he will be, uh, at the college. And he said, and you know, once I retire, do not ask me to do anything or for any advice on the running of the department or whatever. And he said, because I have to go prepare myself to die. And so I, I don't think you can really understand death from this like natural perspective that you're asking about without talking about the preparation for death and the response to death. <clears throat> and it seems to me that a, a lot of the stoic effort is towards uh, cut, sort of cutting out the response to death and cutting out the preparation for death. I'm just going to act like it's not happening. It's like this weird form of denial. Um, it's infinite resignation, Colin. It's infinite resignation. Not faith. I, I'm not I'm not sure. Is. Stoicism is... The night of infinite resignation is the stoic. But the night of I'm, infinite resignation kind of takes... I'm not familiar enough with Kierkegaard, so I'll let this you... This is Kierkegaard, um, Fear and Trembling... Um, the the knight of infinite resignation is is the one who reconciles himself to the fact he will never marry the princess, and he's sort of is sort of ennobled by his resignation. Um, so he and, forfeits he forfeits the beloved, the object of yeah. his love, the princess, mm -hmm. so that he can preserve the love. Right. Yeah. That's that's sort of. But the love has no object, so it's this kind of like this forfeiture of the concrete claim in the world, so that one can have a kind of. Um, 
uh, attain to a kind of um, remove and 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 peace in this mm-hmm. life. If that makes sense. I mean, the, similar and to this is in contrast in to Abraham, ways. who's the epitome of the knight of faith, who, on the strength of the absurd, still believes that he will get the princess or Isaac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. So how is how how is the Stoic onto the night of infinite resignation? Because they don't they don't think they lack a beloved. I think they have it. They they think they have the beloved, and they're just going to carry on until. The lights go no, out and they don't I, notice. So my reading no, of stoicism, my reading of stoicism is that um, it's a kind of therapeutic philosophy. I mean, all philosophy is therapeutic in the sense that it it seeks to help you sort of like reckon with the world. Um, but but I think stoicism is particularly therapeutic in the sense that it says it says you have these desires um, and these hopes. Um, and you want certain things to happen in the world, but you have no capacity t- to realize them, right? Um, and so what you what you need to do is you need to resign them, is that you train yourself to have a kind of impassibility, a kind of immovability with respect to those things. Um, and in so doing, in resigning your concrete claims on those things, you attain to a kind of peace. And so, I, I mean, that's my reading. Colin's, Colin's shaking his head no. But but so my, my reading of the Stoic, you know. Nothing, nothing makes me angrier than Stoicism. Oh, but see, here's here's what I think. This is it's, actually. Which is very unstoic of me. This is mm-hmm. why. Then I agree with you, Colin. Yeah, Colin's like, Colin's like, I would be a Stoic, but I'm just so damn angry all the time. You know? <laughs> I'm a lover. No, but, I'm a lover. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess I think this is why I, I read sort of. Um, uh, maybe put it this way: I actually think that Stoicism is supremely rational in a godless world. I, I really do. I mean, like, Stoicism... what, is, what could you possibly mean by a godless world, though? I mean, that's the problem. In a world with no hope, I think Stoicism is is a a, a, a sort of salutary medicine. It's it it forfeits control over what it has no control over. It focuses on what it can do. And it, it attains a certain level of peace. And I think the sort of the way that I read it, like the kind of Kierkegaardian insight, um, or the existentialist insight is to say that 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 stoicism is ultimately inhumane. There's something there's something inhuman about that way of living. And so um I mean and this is where I don't want to I, kind I of, would agree with that. Okay. Yeah. And I don't want to get into like names or, or like different traditions or whatever, but as the existentialist tradition develops, you have this sense in someone like Camus, for example, where um, rationally he sort of kind of grants, you know, the stoic position, right? That life is absurd. It's, you know, ultimately. Um, um, and there are sort of two options. There's resignation in the face of the absurd, or there's this like denial of the absurd. It's anyway, Camus kind of complicated. I don't want to get bogged down. I don't, down I don't think the, I don't think the Stoics that, necessarily think that it's absurd. I, I think no, that's no, that's far. that's true. They don't, they don't think it's absurd. They just don't um, think it's necessarily something. It's there's this hole out there. I can't necessarily grasp it, you know. But I, right. I have to control what I can, and I'll keep trying to grasp it. The absurd is Camus. Is yeah, Camus yeah, yeah. sort of because the absurd is this like desire for meaning purpose and eternal life when faced with the fact that like the universe is utterly indifferent to you Mm -hmm. and and so that's the absurd um and so the existentialists i think rightly see that humans aren't built 
in the way that stoicism needs them to be built for it to function that 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 this kind of um resignation this posture so of, of pull this pull us back to death Anzi. I mean, I... right so to, so in the face of death i think the 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 reason why we why we see um maybe put it this way there's a kind of nobility as reese was saying earlier and you know speaking very movingly of his own his own family members there's this nobility in the kind of peaceful acceptance of death right um there is something right there socrates isn't wrong when he says it's disharmonious that's what he literally says in credo it's disharmonious for someone my age to be agitated about death he's not totally wrong there and yet the the you know existentialists aren't wrong to strive against death as the kind of last enemy, right? There's this, there's, there's also something there where they're like, you know, the whole truth isn't, you know, in the kind of Socratic or, or, or Stoic teaching either. There's something, you know, opposed to us. Death opposes us. It opposes our desires as, as, as humans. And I guess I thought Reese sort of, um, in, in kind of, squaring the circle right by saying that, that that christianity actually gives you both right there's this sense in which death is an enemy but we know that we've triumphed over the enemy in christ and so there's mm. this kind of repose that we can have we can so we can kind of join the insights of both traditions into a greater synthesis and say that yes we can have both both uh, are true but there's a further mm. tradition that we have not explored yet. We have to negate the negation. All right, here we go. All right, let's so table it up. There is a there is an event that took place in San Francisco uh, several years ago. I was not there, but my best friend was and told me all about it. And it was uh, it was a debate about death that took place between uh, N. T. Wright mm-hmm. and Peter Thiel. Oh wow! And Thiel's position. As and again, I think you could probably watch it online somewhere. But his position, as it was, it was told to me, was, you know, uh, Christ has put death to death. Christians have always sort of had these hangups about, you know, like they, they had hangups about giving people pain medicine during surgery because at a certain point they thought the pain of the surgery is sort of part of the healing process and it's a healing of the soul that goes along with the healing of the body that we're supposed to, and we just need to get over these hangups. Uh, Christ put death to death. We're supposed to participate with him in working towards this. One of the logical endpoints of, of the Bible ought to be, you know, the furtherance of human life. And, uh, we, we do see that as a good. And, uh, you know, supposedly there's, there's this Chinese parable about this dragon who, um, comes into the village, you know, every, every few weeks and he comes and he eats someone and he leaves and uh, he, he does this week after week. And, you know, the, the question that he raises in the end is, um, and, and the story, you know, the moral of the story is like, well, you can't really kill the dragon. We just have to kind of like put up with it. And the question Teal raises is like, well, why, why not just kill the dragon? Um, you know, the, and that's that's the, the, the fundamental question of our lives. Uh, and I wonder about this because it's not the stoic resignation with death. Um it's not obviously the eternal return of the same from Nietzsche, which I think is a really interesting and probably needs an episode of its own. The myth uh, of the eternal return. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's also not, you know, the the 
pre-Christian, just like, oh yeah, we'll just keep having conversations. Like clearly we're minds more than bodies. There'll be some sort of space where we keep hanging out. Like the party will continue people. Don't worry about it. Uh, and it's, and it's not Christian salvation in the sense of we're going to go be with God. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a solution to the problem of death, which says that death is optional in a natural sense, uh, that death is actually unnatural, which I think Christianity agrees with in, mm-hmm. in one sense. And so therefore, why not, uh, allow our intellect as, uh, enlightened by God to work towards the project of, of ending death. Uh, Reese, do you want to, do you want to take this one or? So what? So this is Peter Thiel saying we should work towards. He's, he's a transhumanist, just eternal earthly life. Well, again, we'll go to Mars, you know, we'll create (laughs) space bubbles. Eternal creaturely life. There we go. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, uh, there's the common, common sense gut instinct that this is, dumb and stupid and, and won't work and is yeah i just want to say stuff real quick sci-fi disaster peter teal if you hear this we are open to donations and also that was totally crazy whatever colin was saying is your position mm-hmm. so please mm-hmm. repent and then give us your money we can in fact tell you about beating death another time but is um, it is it is it completely opposed to christianity and if so why i mean these well are, and it's it, it's it's a right desire it latches onto the the, you know, the right instinct that the death is not natural and in spite of you know the people who will meet death in the most socratic way that it, it's it's it, you know it's a part of life and i shouldn't be agitated about it and it's just how things go they also feel those things deeply um as deeply as an, as an interruption um yeah but on, on kind of to wind it back to kind of you know, what is death the the materialist reductionist inability to really tell you what life is and then to really explain what death is and to explain why why the human body wears out um would seem like would make it seem like an endeavor like eradicating death in human bodies is is just doomed because there's no there's no account for the whole there's you know there's they can account for matter but they can't account for for form so you know be like you know kind of i think colin will correct and inform this more but you know the aristotelian like you know idea of of what death would be is it's when the form becomes separated from the matter and for the human being it's when um the soul is separated from the body and augustine says that in uh city of god Thirteen, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, fir- don't, the first don't, death. Don't tarnish Augustine's name and with the soul Aristotle. Is the form of the body, well, and therefore get out of here. Augustine yeah, exactly. is Augustine, a good. Uh, yeah, he says it's not Well, he says, yeah, currently our souls, you know, as apart from God, our souls are dead. You know, spiritually dead, born as objects of wrath. Um, then uh, the first death is when the soul is separated from the body, and then the second death is when God is separated entirely from the soul. Even though Augustine. I think it seems to say the soul and the body after the second death are together. And we often don't think about this, that the Bible, I think, teaches that there is a resurrection of the body for the ungodly, but um, it's a resurrection of the body to judgment. Jesus says that in John 5, time will come, um, dead will come out of their tombs, and some will rise, those who've done good to eternal life, and those who've not, um, to judgment. Um, But those who've not done good, it'll be a a resurrection body that is not like Christ's. Um, So, you know, Christianity and Thomism, Aristotelianism, whatever, you know, has some account of 
what death is, other than the, the cease of biological functioning. Um, and I guess if you can't say something like that, I don't know how you're ever going to unravel death. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good a good um, a good point. The other thing I'd I say... think that that is a good response. Just very quickly, but I'm not sure that to, if we want to claim that putting like the extension of human biological life into a great expanses of time is transhuman, then you're making a claim that death is natural to humans. So, and that, that's I'm just not quite sure we want to go there. I, I, what I'd it's, say is you this. can say it's natural in that it's an inescapable part of our now fallen nature, and it's you know it's natural in a kind of qualified sense. Um, it's just it's just the way things are. It's, it's the nature of it's natural. It is natural, currently speaking, that you know my ninety two-year-old grandfather died um it's not ultimately natural but that's something kind of you know beyond the bounds beyond the realm yeah. of anything that i can currently achieve it's an over-realized eschatology you know of peter Thiel's there um i guess you know saint paul saint paul says that that creation that all creation was subjected to futility as it awaits the revelation hope, of the sons of in god hope. Mm. in hope Romans right eight. in hope as it awaits the revelation of the sons of god um, and, and so I guess what I would say, I, I don't know that Peter Thiel, the question of nature, supernature, transhumanism, I mean, that's an important conversation to have. And I think Reese makes a good point on that score. I, I, I would say, actually, and this is where I think that the kind of um, Platonic or Stoic, and I know, Colin, you're bristling that I'm equating the two. I cringe every time know, you do I know, that. I know, I know, that's how I'm <laughs> saying it. The Platonic <laughs> slash Stoic, because they're the same. No, but this is where I think that they kind of, they kind of have an insight which is that um it is not given to us after the fall to live like gods you know it is not we've been subjected to futility that there's there's a sense in which um death is not only a sort of natural consequence of our separating ourselves from god but it's a judgment of god upon us Right, and so even the first death, to use Reese's you know, you know, distinction, even the first death is a manifestation of God's judgment upon us for our sin, and and so I I would say that the problem with what Peter Thiel is saying, uh, one of the problems at least, um, apart from the issue of whether death is natural, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that he wants to be a god. He wants us to be gods, and we're not gods. We've been subjected to futility by God. And a, a part of that futility is um, a lifespan of a certain time, roughly speaking. You know, obviously there's variety, but but it's finitude. It's it's fallenness and the corruption that that naturally entails, right? That's just That just is what it is to be a creature after the fall. And so to deny, to deny um, that state of existence is to pretend either as though the fall never happened or as though we can sort of transcend the bounds that have been placed upon us by God. Even if it were possible to do that, it would not, it wouldn't end well. Um, and I think there's a kind of like, you know, you can make a sort of further critique about trying to sort of like, you know, apply various techniques to the body. You could do a kind of C.S. Lewis abolition of man thing. And I think those are all good critiques. I just ultimately, it seems to me that Peter Thiel doesn't want to be a man. And that's well, the problem. Uh yeah, well, I think you could put it this way. I, I don't think it's that he, on one level, doesn't want to be human because living forever 
is a human thing, which I think is what Colin's trying to get across. I don't think it's that he doesn't want to be human, it's that he wants to be God. Um, which is also know, pretty human. Is, to be God? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's different, yeah, different conversation. Uh, Adam's, Adam, well, you know, if Adam was going to eat from the tree, he would become like God. Um, he's already made in God's image, so yeah, so we're partakers of the divine nature. Um one Peter one. Well, so. yeah, yeah. Well, you gotta, what does that you mean? Got a, lots you know, of negations and qualifications. Lots of negations. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. don't become a I'll say or whatever. You know, but um, either way, so you know, there is a deeply human instinct in there, and it's he's that's an embrace of his humanity on one level, wanting to live forever, literally, um, but trying to deliver that, I guess, is the the trying to be God part. Can can I can I just give you? Like, I want to see what Colin has. Once Colin has oh, like okay. he has Sorry, Colin. to say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we've been, been talking at him. Yeah, I just uh, there's a so a, f- a few quick thoughts. One well, is he, he's the one who wants to talk forever, right? So I mean, you know, it's, I, I'm happy to. I can. Have, I got plenty of time, guys. <laughs> this is how it's going to be. Colin, heaven is one forever. long podcast. You can hear my voice forever. <laughs> oh, kill me now! No, no. Um, the I, I, one quick response would be to say. It just does seem that we make a bit of a sloppy sleight of hand move when we say, well, it's natural, but not natural, natural, you know, like it's, you know, death, death is natural, given we are now. I, I mean, I, I understand completely what you mean. Well, but I don't but exactly even in the know garden, how I want to. Even in the garden, they're preserved. They would have been preserved by the tree of life, right? Like th- th- their incorruption was not actually uh natural in the sense that it needed nothing to sustain it um even before the fall right so 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 when you say death is natural like i do think it is natural to creatures and it would have been a special oh. act of divine preservation yes on it God's was natural in the sense the that fall. they death was a possibility yeah i think that's right any okay. creature I mean, we don't even talk about animal death right uh, yeah i think i okay. mean what it is to be a creature is that the possibility of the ending of your existence is implied in your existence having a beginning? Okay, great. Is so that we what agree you're saying? That. Yeah, 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 that's all yeah. I meant. So, which which actually leads to an interesting question that we haven't asked, which maybe we'll do another time because we need to do the episode on angels. But like, angels have a beginning. Do they have an end? Is that possible? Uh, and I think it, I think it's implied that they have to possibly be able to, but do they? And what? Why? Uh, anyway, um, you know, NT Wright's response to to Teal still sits with me as a, as a pretty good response. And and you gave a great. I mean, this was really good, both of you. So I'm not. But one other thing. That Are I you heard. telling me that NT Wright said something better than I did, Colin? Uh, just in this one instance, I find normally, that normally only because it's about out. the resurrection. Obviously, that's, that's where he shows. Well, what what he said is that he he almost can't understand the desire for he can understand the desire for eternal life but he can't understand the desire for eternal life as he is now okay i was just gonna say that but remember this is nt right that was nt right saying it no no it's not your argument you're stealing it from nt right this is stolen valor have stolen (laughs) nothing from nt right ever I don't know. I don't. I've know. learned nothing from any of Ever. my teachers, anyone who came before me, except for Augustine and Kierkegaard, um, and Unamuno. Those are the only three people I read. So that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's like no, yeah, and yeah. It, and you know, writes an older dude. So he's like, look, I, I know he's tired. Yeah, he's tired. it's like I've I've got all these problems. I keep making the same stupid mistake. 
Uh, and actually, when I first logged onto this podcast, right, what did I, I texted you right beforehand, and I was like, you're not going to be surprised by my next text. I'm going to be five minutes late. And I logged on, and, and my, I was my like, my li- is, oh, are you dead? <laughs> <laughs> my, my life is like an endless sort of series of rhyming incidences. You know, I'm not sure it's exactly the same, but they rhyme. And therefore, my successes sort of get repeated and reiterated. But my failures also get repeated and reiterated. And that's really troubling when you think about it. And so if that's the case, and I extend this off into, into the future, uh, unless you can achieve a sort of Nietzschean sense that you can just say yes to yourself, uh, you know, whole kit and caboodle, it's not clear that that would be a win. Well, and, and I think even I, I think that's very well put. There's a very famous um, philosophy paper actually, um, against the concept of heaven. And the, the the argument is basically just that eternal life would actually suck. And, and the philosopher is doing exactly what, what Colin was saying that N.T. Wright was doing was saying, like, if we think that eternal life is just existing in the same way forever, existing as I exist now forever, that sounds intolerable. I mean, think about it. Maybe for the first thousand, two thousand, ten thousand years, maybe you can explore new places on Earth, you know, whatever. But at some point, you're going to have eaten everything. You're going to have, you know, had as much sex as anyone could ever, you know, hope to have. You're going to have seen everything there is to see on Earth, and you're just going to have the rest of forever to do what? You know, I mean, talk. it kind of sounds yeah, talk right. But you're going to have said everything there is to say. There will be nothing more to say. And and so I think this is actually the kind of one of the things that that I think Christianity um, gets right, I mean, it gets everything right, obviously, ultimately. But 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 one of the things <laughs> that a I lot think to it say puts, for itself that it puts well <laughs> is that the the quality of eternal life is actually different in kind from the quality of fallen natural life, and yeah. that that is so important. Um, Which you get hints of in the risen Christ. I, I'm not entirely convinced right. by all the kind of things people say about the risen Christ. And he, he can only walk through walls and stuff because he's, he's um, risen. I don't know. I think he can maybe do that before he was risen. Cause it's, it would be a miracle, but you know, they don't <laughs> recognize him um, uh, on the road to Emmaus. Um, you know, repeatedly people don't recognize him. Mary thinks he's the gardener. It's this, this motif going on, you know, there is a, a glory and a fullness and a, a change in him. I actually think that the Christian gets uh, very profound hints of what eternal life will be like in the joy that you receive in faith. Um, and yeah. so there's a, a way of living in the world. And this is actually, to, we're going to tie it full circle. This brings us back to Reese uh, and your, you know, your grandfather who dies in the faith. And you can die in this joy because you've lived in it. And, you know, living your life without it is this living of this fallen life and it's oriented towards death and all there is are these nasty little pleasures that you're just kind of grubbing around for. Um, but when you live in faith, and actually no one makes me think of this more than Thomas Traherne. I mean, Thomas Traherne's writings just drip with this like grace-imbued sense of what the world around him is actually like. That there's something beyond his sensory and his, beyond his desiring... Uh, self that's that's constantly going on around him and he's sort of living in the presence of it and what is it it's god um you know there's nothing preventing you from living with god now and and sort of tasting a a little bit of heaven you know every day when you wake up um i'll throw one uh bit i haven't read it in a while but how to live forever 
by Stephen R. L. Clark. I'm not sure it's the essay Anzi was talking about, but it's a, a reflection on philosophy and science fiction, one of the chapters of which, at least, uh, deals with ex exact question. Actually, a couple of chapters deal with a couple of different options about what it would mean for humans to live forever. Uh, Stephen R. L. Clark is a Christian and a Plato scholar from England of the previous generation and one of our favorites uh, at the Davenant Institute. So, Yeah, Joseph Minnick is a huge fan of Stephen R. L. Clark. Like yep. Yeah, he's, 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 he's assigned reading in nu numerous classes. I think I mentioned his book, The One and the Many, on a previous episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Shall my... We... I think the paper I was talking about, I need to double-check this, but it was by um, Murphy... Um, rationality and the fear of death maybe no i don't know i'll look it up i'll look it up put it in the show notes yeah we can put it in the show notes so um but yeah no i think that's that's a that's a good place i think that's a good place to end it is that the the the, the ultimate you know kind of christian response to death is to say that you can you know <clears throat> live true life now by faith you know that the second death um, is not something that happens after you die. It's something that happens every second you live apart from God, and mm -hmm. that the the you know true life is living by faith in God. Um, so I think on on that note, let's let's shift um, to uh, what we're reading these days. Um, so Colin, you uh, reading a lot of Traherne? Anyone else you're reading, or are you just going to say Traherne? Uh, I'm actually going to read a poem. Uh, because I think there's. I was going to read a I, poem. I'm sorry. There's so it. many death. Okay, if this is heaven, I am out. I'm listening <laughs> to you to read poetry every week. He's got a lightning bolt painted my poem. on his chest. It's <laughs> not my poem. It's one of my favorite poems, however, and it's one that I have memorized. But I'm going to read it just in case. God forbid, I make a mistake while the mic is on. Um, okay. And, and poetry seems to be one of these natural responses that are referred to that a that a real human, not a stoic, uh, a real human has a, in response to death is poetry. Uh, seems seems to me to be the case, and that's both in our, me thinking of my own death, and others uh, in response to the death of someone that they knew. Poetry seems to be one of the things that we do. This is called a prayer for the Ice Age by Marion Shore. God grant you food and shelter from the wild, a flame to light the darkness of your cave, a mate for life, a chisel, and a child, a friend to scatter flowers on your grave. No commentary. Move on. <laughs> you just you just commented though that it was going to be such a nice transition into Reese's poem, and then you just had to talk. This is what Plato doesn't understand about eternal life. It would be better if everyone was silent forever. What the listener, what the listener didn't see is that Colin just declined to speak. <laughs> that is true, but he initiated the speech anyway. It doesn't matter. All right, Reese, let's go. Let's hear your poem. Let's get it over with. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh, we, we've touched on this a couple of times. You know, there's this, this constant thread in Christian thinking that the transformation of death makes death a friend. Um, you know, I'm very angry whenever "All Creatures of Our God and King" is sung, and um, the verse about most kind and gentle death is not in there because, as kind of perverse as that can seem, it's also true for the Christian who goes peacefully. Mm -hmm. And the death is a creature like any other. Um, Leviathan is made by God's hand and serves His purposes. Um, um, it's, our, Augustine, it's our last teacher. Mm -hmm. and Augustine says the first death is good to the good and evil to the evil. Um, and so that made me think of a George Herbert poem that is, that she just called Death, uh, which I will read. Death, thou wast once an uncouth, hideous thing, 
nothing but bones, the sad effect of sadder groans, thy mouth was open, but thou couldst not sing. For we considered thee as at some six or ten years hence, after the loss of life and sense, flesh being turned to dust and bones to sticks. We looked on this side of thee shooting short, where we did find the shells of fledged souls left behind, dry dust which sheds no tears, but may extort. But since our Saviour's death did put some blood into thy face, thou art grown fair and full of grace, much in request, much sought for as a good. For we do now behold thee gay and glad as at doomsday, when souls shall wear their new array, and all thy bones with beauty shall be clad. Therefore we can go die as sleep, and trust half that we have unto an honest faithful grave, making our pillows either down or dust. Oops, sorry. You gotta send that to me. That's good. That's great. Sorry to ruin it by hitting my mic. I'll edit that out. (laughs) Or leave it in to show how much of a tool you are. (laughs) It was an accident. It was an accident. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I have been reading. Onsi's got some cuts from the uh, new um, uh, Kendrick album. So he's going to spit for us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! No, I've been I've been reading um, the ninth uh, century Arabic theologian. He's one of the first Arabic theologians uh, in Christian tradition. Theodore Abu Kura. Mm. He um, was bishop of Haran, which is now in southern Turkey. Um, but he's one of these really interesting guys who um, writes primarily in Arabic. Seems to know Greek. The Patriarch of Jerusalem had a lot of his works translated and disseminated throughout the Byzantine Empire because they were mm. so good. Um, and um, so that's when uh, you know you've made it. Yeah, that's when you... <laughs> when the Patriarch of Jerusalem is like, "This guy's got the stuff. This guy's good. Let's put him on stage." Yeah. So it's been really interesting. He was the. Um, uh, I've been reading. He's he's Melkite, um, so he a lot of his writings oppose Miophysites on questions of christ's two natures um yeah the, the original really... east coast west coast battle that's right that's right it's been really interesting um he also has a, a text um oh what's it called oh theologus autodidacticus <clears throat> autodidactus um which is basically like his attempt to prove christianity from among all of the religions i don't i don't think i've talked about it mm. on the podcast before but um the first line is something like um he sets up this frame story and he says um i was living alone on a mountain and one day i was compelled to go down and seek the society of men and i oh, discovered shit. There were many religions, and then he just kind of like goes from there. It's like really awesome. That's um, how that's how thus Zarathustra starts. Oh, really? Uh huh. Well, Nietzsche was cribbing from Tawadros, yeah, clearly. Abukura. But um, but anyway, so it's been just kind of an interesting. He's dealing with a lot of similar issues to us in the sense that there's a kind of plural religious pluralism where he's living. You know, I mean, he can name he names like fifteen different religions just off the top of his head, and it's like, yeah, there's way more, but we can't talk about them all because. Um, and so, just like reading how like Christians in the past have responded to these sorts of conditions has been really interesting. So, um, hmm. anyhow, yeah, it's been good. Um, all right, well, with what we've read wrapped up, we're going to move to our spotlight. Reese, what are we spotlighting this week? 
As the person who, the only member of the team who thinks about this beforehand. Um, <laughs> no, uh, that's not true. I've just designated you, just like Colin does the rate and review thing. You just, um, you're now yes. the spotlight guy. Uh, I'm going to shamelessly promote um, our second ever UK convivium, um, which will have been announced just before this comes out. This will be out on Monday. Um, will have been announced the previous Friday. Um, yep, yeah, we had one just before COVID. I actually wasn't there. Colin, you were there, weren't you? Um, I, I was there. I was running it. Yeah, it was, but Colin's been superseded. Um, so, 24th of September, Saturday at Oak Hill College in North London. Um, we are having our second ever UK convivium. Um, our topic is In Service of Scripture, Rediscovering Reason and Tradition in Evangelical Theology. Um, so, we've got mm. a keynote speaker. He's Dr. David Shaw uh, of Oak Hill. Um, he's a lecturer in um, uh, Greek, New Testament, and uh, Biblical Studies. Um, and so, kind of very interesting to hear um, a keynote address from him on the role of um, uh, theological retrieval uh, and kind of stuff that he's experienced on the ground, as it were, as a, as a uh, Biblical Studies and uh, New Testament lecturer. Uh, so, he's our keynote, and we have a call for papers open to fill the other slots in the day. Um, so, if you're in the UK and you're listening uh, and you're a pastor or an academic or you know a lay person who knows what they're talking about then i would love to get a call uh sorry a submission of papers from i was gonna say i'm glad you said knows what they're talking about (laughs) because some of our listeners yeah priesthood of believers is universal the ministry of believers is not um so yeah so that's uh 24th of september on saturday at oak hill college in north london um link in the show notes it'll be on the davenant website um so we'd love to have as many people from the uk um there as possible or even if we've got any nearby european listeners you know make the hop on the eurostar or a short plane uh plane journey and we'd love to have you there yeah great great um, well, that's it for today. If you like what you heard here, please give us a five-star review on... Well, can we can we tease this? Because next time we're going to be live, oh, yeah. I think, at the Convivium. So just people should know that. It's, one of these it's days, worth knowing. One of these Not days, me. you guys are going to let me do my spiel no. without an interruption. <laughs> it's going to happen. Spiel. <laughs> my spiel. <laughs> I've rehearsed it. I practiced this in His the mirror. His name is... And then... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so next we week we're going to be live from the Convivium Ironicum. And by live, we mean pre-recorded, but from the Convivium. All in, in person, person with people but it'll be in person. from yeah. Convivium. Colin but sadly, and I will be speaking face me. I will be celebrating the 70th anniversary of my sovereign ascending the throne. You know, this is so like the There is nowhere I would less Jesus like Jesus isn't ascending the throne, Reese. <laughs> my queen is his good and faithful servant colin oh uh, okay wow reese okay. you've only mentioned this like five times you he's know, very excited I'm, this i'm is, just glad this she, is... i'm glad she's alive for it it only happens yeah, what do you do well. this every like like every like it's like a fourth of july thing right it's like once a year you get a... yeah i mean like every 10 years we mark the jubilee so yeah the golden jubilee 10 years ago that's a big deal well. um sorry the, the the diamond jubilee sorry and then golden was before that what's the next See, one this... this is platinum what, what's the next one <laughs> I don't know what eight is. Um, you guys are making me revise everything I said. Bernard lithium. Williams was right. Immortal life would be so tedious. <laughs> just hearing about the jubilees. Oh, I don't no, think anybody. Can... Don't think anybody thinks she's going to get there. Oh. Well, anyway, all right. Yes, so we'll be live from Convivium next week. Um, now to return to what I was saying before the innumerable interjections that have transpired. In the meantime, if you like what you heard, give us a five-star review on <coughs> Apple or Spotify. 
And if you don't like what you heard today, Colin, what should they do? Die. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that's what I was going to (laughs) say. Great. All right. Well, with that, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this is the AdFontes podcast. We are the editors, and we will see you live from the convivium ironically. Live, not dead. Live, not not dead. dead. Next week. (laughs)